Welcome to Top 3 with Lestrada Law, where we explore the intersection of the law with your life and business journey. At Lestrada Law, we're committed to changing how you view lawyers and the legal profession. So on this podcast, we have real conversations with real people about real things, not just legalese. We'll talk with those who have faced the challenges you're facing so you can learn from their experiences. Yeah, we'll talk about the law, but we'll mostly talk about life and business and how the law overlaps with almost everything you do. I'm Geneva Vasquez, the owner and principal attorney of Lestrada Law, and I'm your host. Just as their standard disclaimer, I'm a lawyer, but I'm not your lawyer, unless we've entered into a written agreement to work together. I'm licensed in North Carolina, New Mexico, South Carolina, Florida, New Jersey, and can serve clients in those states. However, nothing said here today is intended to be legal advice, and this is for information and educational purposes only. Today, I wanna to welcome a special guest with us, Amanda Aragon, and we have Michael Rossi with us as well, who you guys probably know from some of the other Sally Boys podcast network uh, shows that we have. Amanda Aragon is the executive director of New Mexico Kids Can, a nonprofit organization focused on reimagining what is possible in New Mexico's public education system. Amanda grew up and attended the public schools in Albuquerque and Rio Rancho, New Mexico. In her professional career, she transitioned from working in oil and gas to be named Albuquerque Business First Top Business Professional Under 30, to focusing her energy on creating the nonprofit organization New Mexico Kids Can to improve New Mexico's education system. Welcome, Amanda. Thanks, I'm so excited. So I wanted to have you on one of our first episodes for a couple of reasons. First, obviously education is a very big topic right now for families, people across the board, because it's impacting not just people with kids, but people who are in the workforce, who employ people with kids or, you know, businesses in general, right? And so we're seeing how the education system really is such an integral part of how our society runs. Um, and I thought, you know, as you being somebody who is a big figurehead in New Mexico for changing the education system and making improvements to the education system and seeing a lot of the disparity in the education system. And now I think a lot of that is highlighted. Um, I wanted to have you on to talk about, you know, those issues, but also talk a little bit about resources, right? Because one of the big things that we're seeing right now is teachers are in a, in a little bit of a panic. School districts are making last minute decisions. Some school districts have gone back and immediately reverted back to online. Um, and so we're seeing that trickle everywhere. And it's a, such a huge impact to our economy, our community. So I want you to talk a little bit about resources. And then Michael with us today is a, is a public school teacher, not just a podcast guy, right? You're not just a podcast guy. <laughs> and so um, have Michael chime in a little bit from a teacher's perspective and have uh, a conversation about that. So tell us a little bit about your organization to start off and you know what it is that you do, how you're integrated in New Mexico and nationally, I guess. Yeah, so you covered it uh, really well in the intro. We exist, we really operate around state education policy. Um, for those that don't know education policy, I think a lot of things we look to the federal government to do. Education is a state issue. So yes, we have a US Department of Education, but their oversight on education is really minimal in comparison to what your state controls. So education is really local. And so we look at all state policies and try and figure out what's best for New Mexico students, what's best for our New Mexico communities, and how do we get uh, off the bottom of the bad list, which is, you know, being one of the worst states in the country for education. 
And so what that looks like is we put out a policy agenda every year. We say, these are the policies we want to change. These are the bills we want to get passed or the momentum we want to build. And then we report at the end of the year on whether or not we made those policy moves. Um, this year is the first year we've ever changed policy priorities in the, in the middle of the year. We changed them in March. Like as soon as COVID hit, we thought, these things that we sought out to do in January don't make sense anymore and their urgent needs are incredibly urgent and we need to start working on those issues. Those are things like, how do we get devices in the hands of every kid that needs one? How do we make sure that everyone has access to internet, like high speed internet? How do we make sure that every parent gets a phone call from their child's school before the beginning of the next school year? What does this mean for statewide assessment, which is the only way that we can identify learning gaps for kids? So all of those things, we made a mid-year pivot. So we work with legislators to try and get those things done. We work with state leaders like the Secretary of Education here. In your state, it might be called the Commissioner of Public Education or the State Superintendent of Education um, and try and create public pressure to get things done. That's, you know, you're bringing up the point about pivoting and it's interesting because I think nonprofits, you know, people forget about nonprofits and all of this, right? People are thinking about business and how businesses are suffering and, you know, whether that's big corporations or small mom and pops, but nonprofits a lot of times are running based on the dollars that people are giving them and people have constrained dollars now, right? <laughs> so that's probably impacting budgets and, you know, exactly like you said, priorities across the board for everybody in every space have had to shift. And I think a lot of times, you know, people are only thinking about the industry that they're directly affect affected by you know, but not thinking how are all of these other organizations going to suffer by the trickle down. Um, yeah, and it's, I mean, we're seeing it on, you know, nonprofits, we get donations, whether they're from big uh, foundations, which foundation funds, most of them will tell you, you're not going to feel the hit to our foundation for another year and a half because of the way they do their investment cycle. So it's like, okay, now, but going to be really bad in a year and a half, which is hard to plan around. A lot of corporate grants, right? Businesses aren't giving out the same amount of money that they were giving out six months ago. So like, that's that. And then, you know, our last kind of bucket of funding is individuals. So what does it feel like to ask people? Fundraising is a huge part of my job. What does it feel like to ask someone to donate money when we know not only are they struggling, but the needs across the board, across our societies are huge as well. So if, if this does happen, you said the cycles are different. So when and if this happens, what does that look like for our, our students, you know, that you guys are not able to kind of go, go to bat for them, you know? Yeah, this isn't, um, I'll caveat this and say this is not the most popular way to describe our work. And I try not to because it feels very us versus them. But part of what we're trying to do at New Mexico Kids Can is make sure that there's someone whose only concern at the table is students, which is not to say that no one else cares about students. Everyone cares about students. Of course, teachers care about students. Of course, superintendents and school board members care about students. Um, of course, elected officials care about students, but they also care about voters. They also care about their members, right? They care about Teachers, if you're the teachers union, like you want to make sure your members are happy. So you're looking out for teachers so that they can serve students. If you're a school board association, you're looking out for school boards so that they can serve students. 
But we just want to be the voice at the table that's like, hey, our only concern here is students, which is not to say that no one else is. And so that's what would be lost. If we don't exist anymore, then that voice at the table that's only focused on what's best for students, unapologetically, except I kind of just apologize for it, um, <laughs> isn't there anymore. And what does that look like? I don't think that serves students well. That's a good point. That's, you know, I think you, you raise an interesting issue, Michael, which is, um, you know, advocacy. So right now we're living in a time where people are impassioned about everything, right? Everybody has got something that they're impassioned about. Maybe it changes daily. <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe they have a, a longer term uh, subject that they're impassioned about. But I think that this pandemic has really highlighted a lot of gaps in our education system. Right. A lot of these things are things that you've been trying to scream about from the rooftops <laughs> for a while. But now it's more obvious, which is that, you know, teachers are expected to be babysitters a lot of the times. Right. Because that's how parents go to work. They bring their kids to school and like that's how they can go to their job or the mental health resources that are provided by the school or just the basic things like how many kids are receiving a subsidized lunch. Right. And so there are all these things that are impacting the students on a day to day basis and, and the teachers and, you know, it's really highlighting a lot of these issues. But what's interesting and what a lot of people don't know is, you know, how do you get these ideas right like I want to fix this problem. I want to make sure kids have food to eat. I want to make sure kids are learning X. I want to make sure kids are doing Y. How do you take that idea and turn it into law turn it into regulation, turn it into policy and have that trickle down to the classroom. And, you know, I have worked in state government before, you spent time working in state government and now you're doing the advocacy work. And a lot of people don't have the opportunity to see that upfront. And this is why I like to talk about law is everywhere, right? It's in everything that we do, it's in everything that we see, it intersects with all aspects of our life. But a big piece of that is advocacy. A big part of how law is made and how these policies end up in your classroom is advocacy and people like you who are out there, you know, with a voice. So talk a little bit about your journey to, to getting into this role, getting into this work, how you transition from being in, you know, the private industry, oil and gas, to now doing this work, which is your passion as your profession and starting this organization and, and a little bit of, and well, let me pause there. So start, start there. Yeah. I mean, I, People ask me all the time if I miss oil and gas, and I am like 100%, I miss it. Like, and they ask, would you go back? And I always say, like, I would love to go back. If, if I could figure this out and like solve this problem, I would go back in a heartbeat, but I care too much about it. Like the last, let's say five years of my life, this is like what drives me. This is what, I mean, my, I feel like my whole life is centered around this work now. And so I say that because that was part of the transition. I, when I was working at ConocoPhillips, I oversaw all of our philanthropic investment. So I got to be the person that gave away the money, which is literally was my dream job. Um, but as a company, we really needed New Mexico's education system to improve. One, so that we would have qualified employees coming out of our education system, whether that was K-12 or higher ed. And we also needed to be able to recruit people to New Mexico. And we saw that this was just a huge barrier to get people to want to move to New Mexico when they looked at our education statistics. 
So I was trying to use some of our money to make education better, but there wasn't a platform to do it. Like I couldn't find an organization that would that was working towards making statewide education better. I could find a lot of nonprofits that were working on like, oh, we want to offer STEM programming for middle school girls, or we want to um, have an after school program. And those programs are awesome and we need them, but they serve, you know, 500 kids, 1,000 kids, 2,500 kids. I needed to figure out how to get 330,000 kids better prepared. And it just didn't exist. So that like kind of stayed in my mind. And then, you know, economic downturns, they're a part of our world. Um, we were going through our third round of layoffs at ConocoPhillips and I decided to take voluntary severance. My parents were not pleased. Um, and I didn't know what I was going to do next, but I had the opportunity to start working in education at that point for the state. Um, I almost I almost said no because it was so hard and so politically fraught at that moment in time that I just kind of wanted to back away from it. But I had be, I had become really obsessed. Like at one point at ConocoPhillips, because part of my job was also government relations, I was watching at that time. Our Secretary of Education has to be confirmed by the Senate, very similar to how we do federal appointments. Um, it was her first, fifth year in front of the Senate trying to get approved. And I was watching it on my computer at Conoco and someone came and was like, what are you watching? Is that I'm watching the secretary's confirmation hearing. Why? And I was like, I'm just really, like I had, I had gotten that obsessed with what was happening politically with education in New Mexico at that moment in time. Um, what our statistics were, what the plans were to get out of it. And so when I had the opportunity to go work at the state, I took it. And what I saw at the state, to your point, Geneva, is there's a lot of power there. Good. I mean, that's good and it's bad and it's a lot of things, but you can't, we cannot, and I, this is a criticism of New Mexico. I think other states do this better. I think they solve problems for themselves. In New Mexico, we look to government to solve the problem. So we're like, oh, Santa Fe will figure it out, which is our state capital. Oh, the legislature will figure it out. The governor will fix that. And it's like, no, it's our job to tell the government what we want. And we're not doing that in education. We're letting them make all the decisions. And in a state that flips like the party of the governor every eight years we have for like the last 50 plus years, that's turmoil on our education system. And it's not people driven and it's not educator driven. It's not student driven. It's politically driven. And that's bad for everyone. So once I realized that um, and got set up in a fellowship with 50CAN, who's kind of like our parent organization to do this work, I was like, oh my gosh, I have to do it. It's the biggest risk I've ever taken. We had no, I had no idea how I was going to raise the money to do it. I had no idea if it would work. Um, I still don't know, like every day we just got our biggest grant renewed today. So like I have a job for another year. So that's great. Um, but you know, it's, it is absolutely the biggest risk I've ever taken and I couldn't stop doing it if I wanted to, because there are some days that I definitely want to. So that's going to take me to one of my, I guess I'll, I'll have two top threes for you on this. So the, the first top three that I want to ask you is, you know, where people are impassioned, and I guess it's it's not just for education, but it's I want to focus it on education. I mean, if I think what you're about to provide as advice might be applicable to other settings, right? Um, but for you specifically, and maybe for New Mexicans or people anywhere, you know, if you're really impassioned about education and you're now seeing a lot of these gaps or seeing disparities, and you are like, I want to use my voice, 
right? Maybe not everybody wants to take the leap of faith that you made <laughs> and start a nonprofit organization <laughs> to do the work. But there's a way that we can all pitch in and advocate for what we believe in, right? And, and the policy that we want to see changed. So what are your top three things that you would say or, you know, tips that you could give for somebody who wants to get involved in education advocacy and is passionate about this subject uh, to, to start using their voice, to start getting out there and helping to make the change that they want to see? So first and foremost is just like a baseline understanding of what the dynamic of what you're looking to change is. So for us, it's obviously state policy. So we have a report on our website called State of Education in New Mexico 2018, which is the year that we launched. Um, and it takes you through all of the statistics. It tells you exactly how we're doing, how many teachers do we have, how many students do we have, what's their demographic makeup, um, what student performance look like. It just gives everyone a good baseline so that they're informed when they're having these conversations because that helps. So that's first and foremost, just get some background information on what you're dealing with. The second thing is listen to a school board meeting. If you have never listened to your local district school board meeting, I am setting you up for one of the possibly most disappointing things that you may spend time doing. It's not, I think we think, um, this is a good reminder. Our school districts are run by publicly elected school boards. And oftentimes, like think about the people on school boards. They're good people. They care about kids. They don't necessarily understand or have expertise in education. And I think that's what you'll see. So it is imperative that they hear from you. So watch a school board meeting so that you know kind of where they're coming from, what they're talking about, what's driving their decisions. And then reach out to your school board member. Those are like that, that's both two. Because my third one is look up your state legislators. You have one rep and one senator. And I think most people, this is for sure true in New Mexico. I don't know how true it is in other states, particularly really big states. But in New Mexico, if you email your legislator, they almost always email you back. If you call them, they almost always call you back. Our legislators are super accessible here, so reach out to them and let them know what you care about. So to recap your top three, because this is the point of this podcast, right, is we want people to have tangible things that they can take away that they can do to learn from your experience, right? So number one, get educated, get a baseline foundation. Number two, listen to a school board meeting. And number three, reach out to your state legislators or your lawmaker, whoever your representative is in that state context, right? And if you have an issue, let them know what's going on, right? Have yep. your voice heard there. Exactly. So those are three, three easy, tangible ways to quickly get involved in advocacy if you've got something to say or you're impassioned about this subject. Um, so I want to circle back now, Michael, and talk a little bit about your experience as a teacher and kind of some of the things that are going through you're going through which you know of course we care about students and that's a big piece but we care about teachers too because they pay play a critical role in all of this right and so um talk a little bit michael about the where where you are as a teacher right now in a public school so i, I want to make two points um as a teacher, I feel lucky enough that I'm going through this time 
as somebody that is used to using technology. You know, I, I've taken online classes before. Luckily, I took them in college. So I, I know how a structure of an online class should look like at least. And some of the tools that my professors use that now I'm able to use. And I feel for those teachers who weren't blessed with that type of opportunity. And this is a whole new language for them. And I feel like people aren't as understanding to teachers. And they don't realize that this is, like I just said, it's a new language. And it takes a little bit of a learning curve, even if you're an experienced teacher. Nobody really has experience in something like this. So I would ask you this first question, and then I have another one. But my first question is, is there any type of resources out there for teachers like myself, uh, even younger teachers that I'm still willing to learn some tools, but then some older teachers that, you know, might need some help, might need additional resources. Yeah, I think that this is really tough because depending on what your baseline use of technology is, right, it's going to vary. And I think we see that across the board. So uh, one, I think Google has put out a lot of free like online videos and stuff about how to use their platforms whether it's google meets or you know uh, google classroom so i would just search like google teacher resources right now and you'll probably come up with a lot of stuff if that's the format that your mm -hmm. um district is using this like i wish that there was something like one place i could say go here and you'll find all the resources you need i don't i haven't seen a resource like that exist but what I will say is if you can find some teacher communities online, whether it's on Facebook or Twitter, um, if anyone's familiar with Slack, there are some cool teacher workspaces you can join. I've seen lots of teachers sharing like just easy tips that can be implemented. One I saw the other day is how to use an old iPhone as a document camera and connect it through Zoom. Um, I saw another one today that's a Slack workspace for English learner teachers, educators. Um, and then I don't know if, like, I've seen, I have a bunch of teacher friends that are doing these, like, virtual classroom, like, Bitmoji things that are interactive. And I know uh, we have an organization in New Mexico called Teach Plus, and they just put on a training last night um, for teachers about, like, what is a Bitmoji? Like, what's a virtual classroom? How do you build one? Um, and so if anyone in New Mexico is listening the Teach Plus of New Mexico page might have that resource. But I would say just get online and find some, some teacher groups and join them because I think people are sharing those tips, you know, every minute of every day as much as they can right now. Because the unfortunate thing, again, this is a systemic issue. Teacher professional development is a district responsibility. It is not a state responsibility. So like in the hierarchy of who's in charge of what, professional development is under the district. So if a district is not training teachers on these tools, then it is leaving a lot of teachers in a lurch right now. Like, I don't even know how to do what you're asking me to do. Or if they're doing the training online, <laughs> Again, if you're not used to online stuff, how are you going to get trained online? Um, like, imagine if we had to learn keyboarding the, for the very first time when, you know, for me, it was in middle school, but I didn't have like an actual keyboard and there wasn't a teacher to like show me things. It's hard to learn technology virtually if you don't already understand technology. Yeah, that makes sense. They had a big, uh, yeah, before school started, we had like a week worth of 
uh, professional develop. And I was thinking, like, what if people don't know how to log into Zoom? They might not be able to uh, get this type of resource. (laughs) (laughs) So, and then my second point, and this isn't really a question, but one thing I do love about my career is it gives you so much perspective. You realize what kids are really going through outside of school and and the lack of opportunities that they have just from where they grew up and it's sad that people don't really realize that you know some people didn't have it as easy as you did growing up you know there's kids out there that they have to take online classes and babysit their siblings at the same time while their parents are at work and so some people don't get that so that's why i can appreciate what you're doing because you're you're advocating for that student right there that's juggling all that in their life and dealing with all the other stresses of being a young adult or a, an elementary school student. So I do appreciate what you're doing. Not necessarily that's a question, but um, kudos to you. Well, and regular pandemic cool. stuff too, right? You know, these kids are feeling the stress just as much as the adults and a lot of people um, are starting to have that conversation, but it's an important one because they're filling it in a totally different way. I saw something yesterday, a high school principal of a charter school here in town was like, if you're employing high school kids, stop scheduling to work them to work during the school day now. Like it is school. We are in school. And I guess she's had a bunch of her kids, mostly low income students saying, my, my boss is scheduling me to work. They have to work to support their families. And their bosses are like, well, but you don't really have school now, do you? Yes, they have school. If you have employees right now, please don't schedule high school kids to work during school hours. Like they need to be doing schoolwork. So that's going to take me to uh, our last round out topic, which is, you know, for parents and kids, what would you say are the top three resources that they could utilize or connect with right now to try to help through this transition? So one, again, I'm combining two here. I think a lot of times parents are so kind and so trusting of systems and particularly the education system. Uh, There's a PR firm here that does um, like a survey every year that says who do people trust the most and number one it's friends and family and second to that is teachers. So it's uncomfortable for parents to question teachers sometimes and I say all of this to tee up my first resource which is there's a website called Learning Heroes. It's bealearninghero.com or .org. Um, And they have something called a readiness check. And you can do it in math and English language arts or reading. And you just have your kid do it. It's like five quick problems. It's kind of fun. And it tells you where they are grade level wise. Because your student may not be ready for the grade level work of their grade that you're they are in and you may never have been told that. So if you're at home right now and you're a parent and you're like, well, my kid is in third grade, so let me get them third grade reading materials to help supplement what the school is doing. They might not be ready for third grade stuff. You might actually be giving them stuff that they're either too advanced for or not ready to learn yet. And so the Be a Learning Hero will help you understand where your child is academically. And then once you have that knowledge, I recommend going to the PTA website, the Parent Teacher Association website, their national website, and they have these, um, their, their learning standard guides for each grade level. Because the second question we hear from parents a lot is like, I don't know what my kid should be learning in third grade. Like my kid is in sixth grade, what kind of math should they be doing? And that's hard if you're the parent at home right now and you, you're kind of like watching your kid 
are they doing the right thing? Should they be able to do that? Should they be struggling with this? And so download the curriculum uh, grades, grade level guides from the Parent Teacher Association website. Um, they're available in English and Spanish and that'll tell you what skills and standards your child should be learning for each grade. And then the third thing, um, we actually just put these on our Facebook page, which is facebook.com backslash nmkidscan and Twitter and Instagram. Um, five questions to ask your child's teacher at the beginning of the school year, because the relationship between a parent and a teacher is always critical, but it's never been as critical as it is right now. And so the earlier that you can establish understanding with your teacher about what's expected, um, how you can help, we have all of those questions. So one of the questions, for example, is how will I hear from you? How are you going to communicate with me as a parent? And how do I get a hold of you if there's a problem? If you haven't asked that question before the school year starts or at the beginning of the school year, um, and then your kid's like having a meltdown or they can't get onto Zoom or whatever, and you have no idea how to get a hold of the teacher, that's frustrating. So that's one question we have four other ones that you can ask um, as early as possible in the school year. That would, yeah, that, if you had that resource for those parents, it would make teachers' jobs a lot easier when those kids have those types of situations. So yeah, if they can make their way to that website, that'd be awesome. <laughs> so Amanda, real quick. So it's Learning Heroes Readiness Check. Yep. Number two, can you say the name one more time? It's the Parent Teacher Association National website, which is pta.org. pta.org. And the um, resource that we're talking about is the Parent Guide to Student Success. Okay, so pta.org, Parent Guide to Student Success. And then the last resource is five questions to ask your teacher and where can our listeners find that? They, those are available on our Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram page. So they're all facebook.com backslash nmkidscan. Same for Instagram, same for Twitter. New Mexico Kids Can. Okay, we'll, we'll be able to post those links as well with um, our notes for the show. So thanks so much for being with us today. This was really helpful, really um, educational. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I hope our parents, teachers, and um, anyone who wants to get involved in advocacy got some good tips for from you that they can apply to their everyday life. So thanks so much. Um, we'll link to New Mexico Kids Can on the show notes. And so people can find you on all of the social media outlets and follow along with all the great work that you're doing. Thanks. And a quick plug, we're a part of a network. So if you have if you're listening from Hawaii, New Jersey, Georgia, Tennessee, Connecticut, Delaware, Denver, or Miami, uh, we have affiliate organizations in all of those places. So Hawaii is Hawaii Kids Can, Connecticut is Con Can. Um, but happy to help anyone get connected with those organizations if they want to get further involved in state advocacy at their local state level. And to reach out to you, and we can, we can um, link to Kids Can nationally as well, which has a directory on it, correct? Yeah. Perfect. Thanks so much for your time and being with us today. Thanks, guys. Thanks so much for joining us on Top 3 with Estrada Law and listening in to Amanda Aragon, Executive Director of New Mexico Kids Can, Top 3 Takeaway for You. 
be sure to subscribe or like to the Sally Boys Podcast Network to listen to all of our shows. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and on YouTube for the video version. To find out more information about Estrada Law, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. We'll see you next time.